Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to see you all here uh, at Living Water. It's good to have you uh, folks at home. Thanks for uh, joining us uh, this morning. Uh, today, we are going to continue the four-week Advent series that we began uh, last weekend. Uh, the intent of this uh, series is to help us focus on the fact uh, that Jesus is our ultimate hope and strength in the midst of uh, not only these challenging times, but also in the midst of all times. Uh, last weekend, Pastor Ben spoke about the supremacy of God, or the sovereignty of God, uh, that everything which occurs throughout the universe is subject to God's authority and his influence. And it's God's sovereign control that, that brings uh, stability to this world that is very unstable. And uh, this weekend, I am going to build upon what Pastor Ben shared uh, by talking about the supremacy of God. And in many ways, God's uh, supremacy and God's uh, sovereignty go hand in hand. They're synonymous with one another because they both speak to God's power and control over uh, everything. But for the purposes of this message, when I speak of God's supremacy, I'm going to speak about God being above all things that the world ultimately has to offer. Just as the Supreme Court is uh, sovereign over all of the other courts or higher than all of the other courts of our land, uh, so too is God uh, supreme over everything. Uh, there is nothing greater than God. He's the highest in rank and power and authority. Nothing compares to him. He is, he is dominant in every way. And there are people who can, uh, you know, when you think about basketball, you can, can argue whether Michael or LeBron or uh, perhaps uh, Wilt or Kareem or, or Bill Russell is, is the greatest of all time. You can have that argument. When, when it comes to football quarterbacks, you can have a debate whether, you know, the greatest quarterback is, uh, you know, Tom Brady or uh, Joe Montana or Peyton Manning or Johnny Unitas. Uh, you can have those debates and, and, and people can have differing opinions, but when it comes to God, he is the supreme one. He is the only one that we ultimately can entrust ourselves and our world and our community to. And in order to see this, I want to take you to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a, a prophet called by God to, to minister to the southern kingdom of Israel from about 740 B.C. to about 700 B.C., roughly you know, 2,700 years ago. And uh, during that time, it was horrific in, in the lives of the Jews living in uh, Palestine. For several hundred years, the Jews had been failing miserably in their role that God had called them to. They, they, they were God's chosen people, and God had chosen them actually for, for a purpose, and the purpose was they were to set an example for all of the neighboring pagan nations of, of who God looks like and what God does and who he is and how to worship him and things like that. But the problem is, rather than serving as an example, instead they adopted the pagan practices of their neighbors and they turned their back on God 
and ultimately turn to the gods of their pagan neighbors. And as a result of their disobedience, God allows the Assyrian Empire to come and to fully conquer the, the northern kingdom of the nation of Israel, which it actually was called Israel, in 70, 722 B.C. Now, this conquering uh, ended what had been 20 years of battle. For 20 years, the Assyrians had been attacking the northern kingdom, uh, laying siege to the capital city of Samaria. There were untold numbers of deaths, and by 722 B.C., over 30,000, which would have been greater than half the population of Harrisburg, Jews had been taken into captivity in Assyria. But Assyria wasn't done. Assyria now sets its sights on the southern kingdom of Israel, which was called Judah, whose capital was Jerusalem. And uh, they're terrified. And, and so God raises up Isaiah to be a, the, the prophet to to Judah uh, to tell them to change their ways because if they don't change their ways, God's going to allow the Assyrians to come in and conquer them. And so for 66 chapters of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah mixes warnings of doom and death and destruction with promises of hope and forgiveness and restoration. And early in the service, when we did that responsive reading, we, we read one of those promises that, that Isaiah gave the people of Judah that, that there was going to be hope and forgiveness and restoration. And I want to read that to you one more time. For those of you who are at home, it will be on your screen. Isaiah chapter 9, you don't need to stand. We stood for the, the prior reading of it. But there will be no gloom for, who, for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have created its joy, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken on, on as the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us... A child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, other than the birth narratives that are found in, in Matthew and chapter 
Uh, and in Luke, this is perhaps one of the most popular uh, passages of Scripture that is read during the Christmas season. And unfortunately, uh, because it is so popular, it tends to uh, get diluted, to, to get, uh, its message gets sanitized and watered down, and, and people gobble up all of the hope that's in Isaiah, but they have no idea why that hope was actually placed there. And I want you and I not to be those kind of people. I want us to understand the reason behind the hope that is there. And the reason that the ancient Israelites needed hope, and the reason why you and I need hope, is because this world is a very, very, very dark place. And it is a dark place because of a three-letter curse word that begins with the letter S, which is called sin. Now, I want you to listen to how Isaiah describes the sin of the people of Judah in the first chapter of Isaiah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with inequity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. How the faithful city has become a whore, she who was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels, and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come from him. You see, clearly, the, the people of Israel, they have, they have rushed headlong into sin. And, and God is spelling it out extremely clearly to them, what they have done. And they ultimately, they have no excuse. And listen now to how God responds to their sin. Verse 24. Therefore the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lie and remove all your alloy. For you shall become, or for you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water, and the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark, and both of them shall burn together, with none to quench them. God responds to the sin of the nation of Judah by promising them that he is going to basically destroy them, to punish them. 
And as we make our, our way from Isaiah chapter 1 into Isaiah chapter 8, the wheels just fall off more and more, and sin becomes more and more prevalent as they go on. And by the time we get to, to chapter 8, we find Isaiah once again warning these stubborn, hard-hearted Jews. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that gently flowed and rejoiced over Rezin and the sons of Ramallah, Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and his glory, and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep onto Judah, and it will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Now, I realize that... that 2,700-year-old figurative language can, can be a little bit confusing here. But basically, this is what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah is saying, you have rejected me. I am going to allow the Assyrians to come in, and they are going to flood your land. They're going to destroy everything in its pathway. Now, I don't know whether any of you have ever been in, in a flood well, my mom and dad, they lived in the city of Harrisburg in the area of Shypoke for 20 years. And I remember in 1996, it was probably January, we had just gotten a huge snow. And a few days later, it warmed up and, and the rain came down and it just rained and rained. My dad was away on a, on a trip. My mom was uh, at home. The Susquehanna River had been filled with ice at the time and uh, it, it overflowed its banks. And it came in and it devastated Shypoke. It devastated other parts of, of the area. That's where the uh, Walnut Street Bridge got swept away, if you remember that. Uh, but that's what happens. Floods come in and, and they destroy everything in its path. There is nothing immune. There is no cranny or crevice in your house that doesn't get water from the flood. And that's the picture that, that God is setting up for for the Israelites, for the, the people of Judah right here, is that the Assyrians are going to come in and they are going to destroy you like a flood. And given this warning, you would think that the people would change their ways. You would think that they would change their hearts. You would think that, that they would ultimately turn back to God, but they don't do this. Instead, they turn to mediums and, and fortune tellers and sages and the like with disastrous results. Look at verses 19 and 20 of Isaiah, or 22 of Isaiah 8. And then they will say to you, Isaiah, the people will respond to Isaiah. Isaiah, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God, God asks? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living to the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn, they have no hope. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, because of their sin, they will be enraged. And they will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward 
and they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Rather than turning to God in their distress, distress which they brought upon themselves because of their own disobedience, they instead turn to everything but God. And what is the result? Verse 22. They look to the earth. They look to all the things the earth has to offer, all the wisdom of the earth, trying to find answers. They look to science and to politics to entertainment, to education, to power, to human wisdom, all in an effort to save themselves, yet all they find is more distress and darkness and gloom of anguish. And our world is no less dark today. On Friday afternoon, I, I went out to, to Penn Live, and I decided I would spend uh, you know, about 10 minutes just kind of perusing the headlines to see if I could figure out how dark central Pennsylvania is. Here's just a few headlines that, that I came, pulled off of Penn Live, in a matter of about 10 minutes. Man charged with robbing Wawa customer at gunpoint inside of restroom. You can't go to the bathroom in a Wawa without getting robbed. Girl, 12, dies after being shot when gun goes off in apartment next door. Aunt, charged in the homicide of nine-year-old boy. 19-year-old charged with attempted homicide in York County. Ex-museum director jailed on children porn, child porn. Two people injured in Harrisburg shooting. Priest smuggled child porn, including torture images, into the U.S., U.S. reports record 2,800 COVID deaths on a single day. Hospitals pushed to the limits. That was 10 minutes on Penn Live on Friday. Think about how many other cities are around the country and how many little newspapers are there and how many headlines are. This is just in central Pennsylvania. In the midst of those headlines, there's plenty of distress and darkness and gloom and anguish. And it was also heavy. I had to find one that was a little lighter at least. And this is the one I came across. Man's wife sells his PlayStation 5 after he lied and told her it was an air purifier. Yeah, how about that? Ladies, if, if your husband comes home with a, an air purifier 
and it's manufactured by Sony, you got a pretty good indication it's not really an air purifier. And all of that, which I just shared with you, that's just the stuff that comes out in public. That's none of the stuff that's hidden that we don't know about. And, and you know what? It's, it's none of the stuff that's actually in our individual lives. What about the broken relationships and the infidelity and the lies and the addictions and the violence and the abuse, the, the lack of love, the lack of respect, the lack of kindness, the selfishness. What, what are we to do with all of those things that are in our lives? How are we supposed to process that? Where do we turn in the midst of that kind of personal pain? Tragically, when that kind of darkness comes into our lives, we do, many of us, me included at times, we turn to the same things that the people of Judah turned to. We turn to political leaders because we think they'll be our hope. We turn to government programs, oh, if they would just give us the next stimulus plan. We turn to education or technology or money or, or self-help gurus or, or our own skills and abilities. Pretty much we turn to everything but that's what we do. And we do this because we have deceived ourselves into believing that all of these problems aren't a result of sin. Instead, they're a result of the lack of education or opportunities or justice or resources we write them off because perhaps the result of abundance of ignorance that's out there or one of a million other possibilities. When in re reality, the, the reason for the, the despair and the distress and the darkness that, that's in our lives and in the lives of those around us and the lives of our community is nothing short. The reason for that is nothing short of, of sin. And tragically, we don't even see it. Not only do people fail to see the sin in the struggles of life, most people fail to see the sin in the story of Christmas. You see, Christmas ultimately begins with sin and brokenness and darkness. That's where it starts. It starts with sin and darkness and, and all the, the unintended consequences that, that comes with that. And the very reason for Christmas is ultimately because of sin. Because in the words of Isaiah 8, 22, the, the verse that comes right before Isaiah chapter 9, there's distress and darkness and gloom of anguish. And without understanding that sin is at the heart of Christmas and sin and all of its devastating consequences begins the Christmas story, we will never, ever fully understand Christmas. Because without sin, Christmas is just about presents and decorations and family get-togethers 
and office parties. And Santa Claus and Rudolph and his buddies, credit card bills that end up getting delivered by a forklift at the end of the year. I mean, that's what Christmas is about to so many people. But when we realize that Christmas is, is ultimately begins with sin, Isaiah's words uh, in chapter 9, verse 2, they take on a completely different meaning. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You see, in the midst of this deep darkness, the bright light of God's supremacy shines and comes onto the stage. Now, before we go too far, you've got to understand something about this light, though, and because it's very, very, very important. Notice in verse 2, the people walking in darkness, they don't create the light. The light isn't the result of something that they have done, something that they have, have accomplished. It's not a result of, of their creativity or, or their power or, or their innovation. Rather, what? The light comes to them. They just happen to, to see the light. Why do they see the light? The light is so stinking bright because they're living in the midst of utter darkness. You can't miss the light. And the light, what? The light shines on them. They're passive in the midst of this whole thing. And what does the light do? Look at verses 4 and 5. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. You see, light breaks in and what does it do? It breaks the bonds of oppression. In ancient Israel, yokes and staffs and rods, they were the tools that the oppressor used to oppress people. They were the brutal implements that were designed to, to keep people in bondage. And what happens to them? They're destroyed by light. We think that we're going we're to fix bondage and oppression and all the bad things in this world with, with just more education and, and people's changing their minds and stuff like that. No, it is the light of Jesus Christ that ultimately changes these things. And the light doesn't just destroy oppression. The light comes and tramples the weapons of war. And it ultimately brings an end to violence. And some of the dark, greatest darkness this world knows comes as a result of oppression and violence. And many of us can attest to that. We have been living in darkness because of the oppressive actions and violence of other people that they've inflicted on us. Be they parents or teachers or employers, religious leaders sometimes, so-called friends, boyfriends or girlfriends, spouses, government systems, corporate systems. Those things have trapped us into darkness because why? Because people have sinned against us. 
But the darkness in our lives just doesn't come from other people. Tragically, there is times when we bring the oppression upon ourselves and we immerse ourselves into deep darkness because of our own sinful actions. No matter how hard we try, many of us can't seem to escape the darkness that we're living in, no matter how hard we try. And it's into this deep darkness that this brilliant light of salvation explodes onto the scenes. Look at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Salvation, it arrives in the form of of what? An infant child, a, a, a child who what? Is given, not earned. It's a gift, not something that we ultimately work for. Because salvation is always a gift from God, not something that we can obtain through even our most contrite attempts. It always, always, always comes through grace and not through our efforts. Now, this infant child, it is supreme in every conceivable way. He is a wonderful counselor, not just a counselor, not some kind of of spiritual guide, but a a wonderful counselor whose direction and help and guidance that they give us is is marvelous, is miraculous, is incredible. It's not earthly. He's a mighty God, the one who possesses just not the infinite name of God, but God's infinite power. He's everlasting father, the one who intimately cares for his children and eternally loves them. One who is unlike the flawed or absent earthly father that some in our world have experienced. You see, this father, he He cares for us in in ways that we can't possibly imagine. He meets our needs, not just for the entirety of our life, but for all of eternity, because he's an everlasting father. He's a prince of peace, one who brings us rest from the relentless attacks and accusations of our enemies. And, And we go through life, and so many of us, we're looking for counselors, We want someone who who will will speak into our life, who will listen to our problems, who will give us direction on what we should do, who will guide us to help us make sense of this, this hard life. But Jesus comes along, gives us so much more because his guidance is not earthly, it's heavenly. It's not temporal, it's eternal. And many of us, We want to find God. We want to find any God who will come and help to meet our needs. But Jesus does so much more. He comes along. He gives us a mighty God, one capable of doing more than we can think, ask, or imagine. And so many of us, we want a father, any father. Because our earthly father 
has failed us so terribly. If we only could find a man who would pay a little bit of attention to us. And this doesn't go for for five-year-old kids or or 12-year-old kids. It goes for 45-year-old women. If we could only find someone who would love us, who holds us and hugs us and confronts us and cheers for us and believes in us, we think we would be satisfied. Jesus comes along and he does so much more. He gives us an everlasting father who promises that he will never leave or forsake us. That's what he brings. And so many of us, we desperately want peace. We're tired of the pandemic. We're tired of the masks. We're tired of the social distancing. You know, we're outside. Here's an example of this. We're outside yesterday. We got 30 people outside. We are spread out all over the place. The wind is blowing. You couldn't get COVID out there if you were sucking in like a vacuum cleaner the entire time. I mean, that's how far out we're spread. And I take pictures of this. I'm afraid to post them on Facebook. Because someone's going to come along and say, you guys weren't wearing your mask. I'm tired of that stuff. I know you guys are tired of that. I'm tired of all the political acrimony. I hate that. I hate when when people are criticizing this politician or that politician because they're they're trying to do their job. And and some do some of them have nefarious methods? Probably. But I kind of believe a lot of them are actually just trying to do the right stuff. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of Republicans fighting with Democrats and Democrats fighting with Republicans and conservatives not liking liberals and liberals not liking conservatives and, and, and all of this stuff that goes with it. We're tired of that. We're, we're, we're tired of the, the violence in the back alleys and the protests in the public squares. Can't somebody bring us peace? That's where we're at. Nobody wants to be doing this stuff. Even people who totally think differently than you. The vast majority of people just want peace. But Jesus comes along. He doesn't just give us peace. He gives us the prince of peace. The pinnacle of peace. He gives us supreme peace. A peace that that will, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, it's this supreme God who in verse 7 unleashes the blinding and purifying light of the very thing that you and I want, and that's justice and righteousness into the midst of this very dark world. That's where it comes from. This God, this extraordinary God, is the baby in the manger. It's the baby of Christmas. Fully God, fully man. The one who the Apostle Paul declares to the Christians living in Colossae. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything that he might be what? Preeminent, that he might be supreme. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, Christmas, it's far more than some kind of sentimental story you find on the Hallmark Channel. Christianity is far more than than some merely helpful philosophy. And Jesus is far, 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 far more than the personified hopes of a small band of first century Christian zealots. You see, Jesus is the supreme. He is the greatest of all time. Eternally existent, all-powerful, possessor of all righteousness, overflowing with justice. He's the loving God who came to this earth as a baby, lived as a man, died as a perfect sacrifice, and rose again, conquering sin and death once and forever. He is the light that ultimately overwhelms the darkness of this world. And what you and I do with him every single moment of our lives makes all the difference. Because every moment, you and I get to make a choice. Will we attack this darkness with with human means? Or will we attack it with Jesus? In order to help us to figure out how to apply this to our lives, I want to share with you a story. Living water is an amazing place. the time that, that I've been a Christian, I've, I've gone to one, two, three, four, five churches prior to coming to Living Water. I've been a Christian for, since 1983, so you do the math. And they all have been great churches. This place is amazing. And it's amazing for a number of different reasons the primary of which, it is amazing because of what God has accomplished in 20 years. It blows my mind. I never would have ever dreamed that things would be the way that they are. Yeah, I get the masks and the pandemic and all that. Things are a little bit different right now, but what God has been doing here and and through people's lives at home is, is, is amazing. And it is amazing because I get to work with an incredible group of people. There's not a single slacker in the bunch. Every one of them is an A, a 10. They, They make working here and serving here an incredible blessing. 
This last year, in the midst of this pandemic, I have been so blessed by, by a staff that has been incredible. Just on, on Thursday, they celebrated my birthday. You want to be humbled, have, have a room of 20 people go around and tell you why they appreciate you. And it's been an amazing journey. But the, the other thing that's incredible is you guys are utterly unbelievable. I have never met a group of people who love Jesus more. I've never met a group of people who are willing to consider others truly better than themselves, who are quick to forgive, who are quick to listen, slow to speak. When it comes to generosity, you guys are, you're, you guys, you're off the charts. Our compassion fund, in the, in the history of Living Water Community Church, the compassion fund used to run three, $4,000 balance. Through this pandemic, the balance has been like $50,000. We can't give the money enough fast, away fast enough. It's not like we're accumulating this money. The money's coming in, it's going out. You just happen to be pouring it in a lot faster than it can go out. And because of your generosity, something amazing happens here virtually every single day that these doors are open. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And the amazing thing is this that people from all over central Pennsylvania, they come to this place or they go onto our website and they bring up this compassion form because they have a need. And, and they fill out the compassion form and, and, or they fill it out online or they mail it in or they bring it in or whatever and, and it gets to, to Mike Bongo. Now, now, these people are wildly diverse. So, some of them are are. are God-loving, gospel-centered Christians. Some are, are just merely religious. Some, if you ask them, they would tell you that they're spiritual. There, there are agnostics that, that fill out these compassion forms. There are atheists that fill out these compassion forms. There, there are nuns, not the ones that live in the convent down here at St. Catherine's, that's N-U-N, but they're N-O-N-E-S's, people who, who don't believe anything. They have no spiritual belief whatsoever. These people, they're married, some are divorced, some are living together, some are homeless, some are straight, some are gay, some are lesbians, some are bisexuals, some are even transsexuals that fill out those compassion forms. Everybody who walks through these doors throughout this week or, or throughout a given week are completely different. You describe the person. And I guarantee you, Mike Bongo or someone on his team has ministered to them. You, you, you figure out a person. And Bongo and his folks, they, they have ministered to these folks. And yet, in the midst of, of all their differences, they have one thing in common, and it's this. They have some 
kind of need. That, that's what's brought them to this place, to our website, to that compassion forum, and ultimately into Mike Bongo and his team's orbit. They might be behind in their rent. It could be three or $400. It could be $2,000. They might be uh, about to get their gas or their electricity or their water cut off. Some of them are unable to buy food. Some are in need of, of some kind of medical procedure, or maybe they got medical bills that they simply can't pay. Some can't make their car payment. There are folks who come here that, that need money to be paid uh, to the correction system so that they don't get thrown into jail. One of a, a million different needs. The, the needs are as diverse as the people. But there is one thing about the needs that are similar to everybody. And it's this. That need, the reason they filled out that form is because it is the most supreme thing in their life. It is the thing that is consuming all of their thoughts. It is the one thing that they think that if I can get this thing solved, I'm going to be in a better place. And they desperately need it met beyond anything else. And that's where they're wrong. Because there is something far more supreme than that need that they have. You see, their supreme need, the need greater than that thing that is presenting itself right now, is something money can't fix. And that supreme need is that they need the forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life that comes from repenting of one's sins and receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And to be sure, Mike and his team, they communicate that every single time. There's not a single person that, that comes in and, and gets compassion help from Living Water Community Church that has not been confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for as much as our friends who use the compassion ministry struggle to see Jesus as their supreme need in their life, So does many of us. Many of us sitting in this room right now, we fail to see Jesus as the supreme need in our lives. Many of you watching at home right now, you fail to see Jesus as the supreme need in your life. And even though we love him, and even though we worship him, and even though we, we tell others about him, sometimes there is a weight in this world that causes us to lose our focus. Sometimes we fear, sometimes we doubt, sometimes we worry, sometimes we get angry and frustrated, sometimes we want to give up, sometimes uh, it is just so hard to be still and to trust God. And when those times come, we need to remember that regardless of what is going on in our life at this moment, 
our supreme need always is Christ. That is our supreme need. Because he was and is and he will forever be the wonderful counselor and the mighty God and the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. He's the one who who will bring light into the darkness of our lives. Money can't fix that. Relationships can't fix that. Beauty can't fix that. Only Jesus can fix that. Only Jesus being the supreme thing in our lives can ever give you and I focus. And we need to remember that the zeal of the Lord of hosts, he will accomplish that. Regardless of where we are, regardless of what's happening in our lives, Jesus being supreme. That's where we need to be. He may not make your problems go away. That cancer may still be there. You may still grieve over the death of a loved one. You might not be able to pay your bills. But there will be a peace that passes all understanding that will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus when you and I make him the supreme one in our lives because he is supreme. That's the only place he's going to dwell. There is no other place. He will be on the throne whether we like it or not. And our lives will be far better when we make him supreme. Let's pray. Lord God, would you forgive us? Lord, we come before you at some point in time, uh, most of us, many of us, and, and Lord, we have confessed our sins and we have received you as Lord and Savior. And, and, and Lord, but somewhere along the line, we get stuck Lord, something becomes just too big. And, and Lord, it becomes the, the, the largest thing in our lives and all of our focus goes to that. And, 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 and Lord, when we put you aside and we're confused and we look for help in all kinds of different ways, dear God. And yet you are patiently there. Lord, desiring to pour light into the midst of, of whatever dark situation we found ourselves in. Lord, would you help us to cling to you in the midst of that? Would you forgive us for putting all of these other things before you? And Lord, would you make yourself the Lord of our lives? We pray, God, that you would do that. Help us in the midst of this Christmas season to see you at work in ways that we could have never, ever imagined. Bringing healing and hope and light in the midst of a very, very dark world. And it's through your son's name we pray. Amen.